0: Hi, this is Bob Gale.
1: And Neil Canton.
0: We're co-producers, and I'm the co-screenwriter of Back to Future One. We couldn't talk Bob Zemeckis into sitting down to do scene-specific commentary with us, so you'll just have to put up with us this time. And this should be the last commentary that you listen to. Listen to the, all the other stuff on the discs first, because we're going to assume that you watch the documentaries and. Listen to the first commentary so that we don't have to repeat and make you bored with hearing the same stories you've already heard. This is a set, obviously, shot on stage 12 at Universal. A major pain in the ass to get this shot because of all these clocks and the intricate camera move. And it's actually the second beginning of Back to the Future that uh, Bob Zemeckis and I wrote. As you heard on the other rest of the material, the original version of the script had a climax in New Mexico at a nuclear test site. And the original opening scene took place in a classroom where Marty was watching a documentary about that. We actually built a classroom set where we were going to shoot that. And after we recast Michael J. Fox and we're trying to figure out ways to cut money, uh, Bob and I realized 35. that so right now, we didn't need that scene. It was not information year. that we needed. And we concocted this sequence with a set that we already knew that we had that would be cheaper to do. And since we were only shooting half days with Michael J. Fox, this shot took about a half a day to do. Uh, we didn't have to have Michael here to do that.
2: Nuclear research facility this has is
0: Deborah Harmon on television Bob and I worked with her on used cars and she American came in to do this uncredited as a personal to a favor brush. to us
2: However, officials now attribute the discrepancy to a
3: simple clerical error the FBI is, uh, the matter,
0: one of the things that this scene is doing of course is giving us information about Dr. Emmett Brown. We're not gonna see Doc Brown for a good 20 minutes in the movie, but by seeing all this gadgetry and craziness, you get a complete sense of who the guy is and you'll be interested to find out what kind of a character he is. Also, I should mention that the uh, the opening with all the clocks is either an homage or a ripoff of the opening of uh, the George Powell movie The Time Machine, which starts with a whole bunch of clocks Hello, as well.
4: Home? Einstein, come here, boy. What's going on? Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. That is disgusting. What the hell is it?
0: Now, when you're watching the movie, you don't really know anything about what it's about except for the fact that you've already seen the commercials and so forth. But putting the plutonium down there uh, and showing where it was is a way to keep you interested and let you know that something major is going to happen a little bit later on. noticed on uh, one of those gauges, it said CRM 114. One of uh, Bob and my favorite movies was uh, Dr. Strangelove, is still Dr. Strangelove. And uh, CRM 114 is a direct reference to that movie. We blew Michael, Michael back, right? that yeah, was we that's blew Michael, not a stuntman. That was that. Michael. That was Michael. And my recollection is that uh, we had some kind of a promotional deal with whatever company made these sunglasses. It's the only time in the movie you, you see him wearing sunglasses, right. that's, and that's we, we put him in here to. Do some kind of a contractual obligation, and, and you never see him again. Because uh, shooting with mirrored sunglasses is a major pain in the ass. Hey, Doc.
4: Where are you? I, I found you. Listen, can you meet me at Twin Pines Wall tonight at one fifteen? I made a major breakthrough. And I'll need your assistance. Wait, wait a minute. One fifteen in the morning? Yeah, Doc. What's going on? Where have you been all week? Working. Where's Einstein? Is he with you? Yeah, he's right here. You know, Doc, you left your equipment on. All this was week. a complete
0: four-walled my, my set and we could move out any wall that we needed to. And our uh, property people had a great time, and set decorators had a great time just finding any kind of junk that they could to load up the set with. Jukebox, there's a canoe in here, there's a couple of animal heads, I think. They just scrounged everything they could find out of the prop and set decorating department and uh, stuck it in here. The idea, of course, being that uh, when Doc Brown's mansion burned down, which she saw earlier in the scene on the newspaper, Doc salvaged everything that he could and stuck it here in his garage.
1: Right, it's where he lives in the garage also. There's a a section of it, uh, his bedroom.
0: Which is, uh, he keeps the plutonium under his bed there, which of course is where anyone would keep the plutonium. I would. The garage there was just a flat that we put next to this Burger King, which is on Victory Boulevard in Burbank. Again, we had some kind of a tie-in with Burger King on this. And the deal was, I don't think they gave us any money, but my recollection is uh, they let us shoot there for free, which was something. The guy who's driving the Jeep there is our stunt coordinator, Walter Scott. And this, of course, is the back lot at Universal. Walter is somebody that uh, Bob and I met during uh, the production of 1941 and again on uh, used cars. He was not our first choice for stunt coordinator. We tried to get Terry Leonard, who we would worked with many times before, but Terry was unavailable and said, use Walter. Walter will do a great job. And Terry was right, he did.
1: The high school is in uh, Whittier. It's Whittier High
0: School. Richard Nixon's alma mater.
3: I might understand you're
0: still Strickland a there is played by James Clyde. Tolkien, terrific Parker's actor. You, Bob and I and you, noticed, and you, noticed and him and around. were impressed by him in a movie and called Prince you know, of the, the advice, City, where he plays a, a really so tough New York City cop nutcase. or police commissioner or something. Him, and uh, he was a joy to work with.
3: You've got a real attitude problem, McFly. You're a slacker. You remind me of your father when he went here. He was a slacker too.
4: Can I go now, Mr. Strickland? I notice your band is on the roster for the dance auditions after school
3: today. Why even bother, McFly? You don't have a chance. You're too much like your old man. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley.
4: Yeah, well, history is going to change.
0: That's Huey Lewis, if you weren't paying any attention. And this was shot at the uh, Burbank Community Center on, uh, what street was that on? You know, Riverside? Yeah, I think it's Riverside. Alameda, something like that. Right. One, two, three. The guy playing guitar there was uh, Michael J. Fox's guitar instructor. We put him in the movie because uh, why not? My recollection is that this idea that uh, they get rejected by playing too loud was Huey Lewis's idea.
1: That's right, it was Huey.
0: Uh, it's the stupidest reason to reject anybody, and of course... Uh,
1: but I think it's something that actually happened to Huey. Yeah, that's, the one that's, that's
0: right. Here, of course, we're setting up uh, Goldie Wilson, who we're gonna meet in a little while. Now, interestingly enough, Claudia Wells here plays Jennifer uh... we had originally cast her as Jennifer before we had cast Marty. As you know, it took us a long time to finally get to the point where we cast Eric Stoltz as Marty, and we pushed the uh, start date back several times. By the time we had readjusted our schedule, Claudia was no longer available to play Jennifer, so we had to recast her with an actress named Melora Hardin. Uh, Melora Hardin was a couple inches taller than Michael J. Fox. So when Michael J. Fox got put in the movie, a lot of people on the crew, particularly interestingly enough the women, felt that it was not a good image to have Marty's girlfriend be three or four inches taller than he was. And it was one of the hardest things I had to do was to fire Melora Harden. She'd never even worked a day on the movie and she hadn't done anything wrong, but that's what happened. And of course, With the new schedule now, with Michael J. Fox, Claudia Wells was available, so uh, she came back and uh, played Jennifer as we had originally wanted. When she
4: was a kid, I mean, look, I think the woman was born a nun. She's just trying to keep you respectable. She's not doing a very good job. Terrible.
0: You'll notice the clock tower back there, the ledge that Doc Brown is gonna walk on later on is completely intact.
3: Ago, lightning struck that clock tower and
0: the clock this is the, uh, the vision of time travel that Bob and I exactly came up with where you can change is. things. <laughs> so in this version of the world, uh, Doc Brown was never out there on that ledge, so it is completely intact. And of course, at the end of the movie, when we're back here, you'll see that it is broken. And it's also broken in Back to the Future Part Two.
4: It's my dad. Right. I've got to go. I'll call you tonight. Uh, I'll be my grandma. Aerobics,
0: of course, was a big craze in the 80s. And uh, we always tried to find something that we could do on the back lot that we were going to change that would be an interesting contrast between the 80s and the 50s. So the cafe became aerobics. If we were doing it today, it would have probably been a Starbucks. And Orgy American Style playing there at the Essex Theater. I'm not actually sure if that's the title of a real movie, but it probably probably is. Uh, When the movie played in Australia, Michael J. Fox had to do a public service announcement for Australian television, telling kids not to ride off the back of cars on their skateboards. They were, I guess, a little bit behind us in Australia, and kids hadn't even figured out that you could do that. And then, of course, we had to tell them that it was dangerous.
2: Perfect. This
0: street is yeah, in Arlita, oh. Although this shot right here is it's set. on the stage. Yeah.
1: The first shot where the truck was, uh, where he comes car. down the street, is in Arleta.
0: Blind spot. Blind spot. I could have been killed. And here we have uh, now, now, Biff. Now, Crispin Glover as George and Tom Wilson as Biff in their makeup.
4: When I would drive it, You'll find on the
0: DVD uh, some makeup tests, and we did a lot of tests to Um, try to figure out how we were going to light the makeup so that it wouldn't look too
3: makeup-y.
0: And this was a combination of latex devices and the actor's own flesh. By the time we did Back to the Future 2, there had been advances in latex technology where all Hello. the old age makeup was Hello. in latex, Anybody but here home? it was a combination of I'll partially latex appliances and appliances and partially to to them. Do you realize what would happen if I handed my reports in your handwriting?
1: If I recall correctly, it was uh, Ken Chase who created happen.
0: the makeup. That's right.
3: Would you? Of course not. Ken had
0: done no, roots. That's, that uh, done a lot of interesting uh, makeup on I'll, roots, and on that's tonight, the reason no. that, uh, we'll them over that we hired him
4: i hey, not too early. I sleep in Saturday. Oh, McFly, your shoe's untied. Oh, don't be so gullible, McFly. I've got the place fixed up nice. So on the
0: other on. commentary, I think we talk about how it was an unusual choice house, for us so to I'm use the same actors playing right themselves old and young. It's still not done all that often, but we felt that it was critical that the audience like, would forehead? appreciate what happens to these characters by seeing the same actors play them in all their incarnations.
4: You know what you're gonna say, son? And you're right. <laughs> you're right. But
0: this uh, greasy hair look that uh, Crispin has is great. We did a number of tests trying to figure out what we were gonna do with his hair, and uh, this just turned out to be bad. the ticket. I mean, he wrecked
4: it. He totaled it. I needed that car to more like that. I mean, do you have any idea how important this was to me? Do you have any clue? I know, and all I can say is I'm I'm sorry. Believe me, Marty, you're better off without having to worry about all the aggravation. And now, this
0: peanut brittle gag here is the payoff Absolutely. of a scene that got cut out in which, after uh, Biff leaves, a neighbor comes by with his daughter selling peanut brittle, and George ends up buying a whole case of peanut brittle, and that's what he's having for dinner.
5: Kids, we're gonna have to eat this cake by ourselves. Your Uncle Joey didn't make parole again. I think it would be nice if you all dropped him a line.
4: Uncle Jailbird Joey?
5: He's your brother. We have a
0: lot of exposition to set up everything that happens later on in the show. And exposition can be very, very painful. Uh, And you always try to figure out creative ways to get it out there. I think the most creative piece of exposition is the setup for uh, Jailbird Joey, because the cake gag that sets it up is funny all by itself, and you're completely unaware that it's any sort of a setup whatsoever. The rest of it is pretty much pure exposition, the whole story of the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. And as a writer, you sometimes try to be creative in how you hide the exposition and make it so that it isn't noticeable. But sometimes the best thing to do is to just bite the bullet and have somebody just spit it all out. So uh, that's what we do.
5: Well, it'll just happen. Like the way I met your father. That was so stupid, Grandpa hit him with the car. The...
0: Marty's brother and sister, by the way, are uh, Wendy Jo Sperber and Mark McClure, who are veterans of the, the zemeckis acting repertory company. We use both of them in uh, both I Want to Hold Your Hand and Use Cars. When you enjoy working with an actor, you uh, go back to him and uh, have him come back and him into again because uh, you know that you can depend on him and you know that uh, you'll have a good time working with him.
5: Like a little lost puppy, and my heart just went out to him. Yeah, Mom. We know you've told us this story a million times. You felt sorry for him, so you decided to go with him to the Fish Under the Sea dance. No, no, it was the, the uh, makeup
0: under on the sea uh, dance. on Leah Thompson here, Lorraine, is uh, is just great, all puffed it. up mm-hmm. because it was she's an alcoholic. Thunderstorm,
5: remember George?
0: And it's quite a contrast you've to the makeup that uh, the Ken created for at the board. very end of the movie.
5: And it was then that I realized that I was going to spend the rest of my life with him.
0: Another thing I should say about this scene is that because of Michael's schedule, we had to film the coverage before we shot the Masters. We would block the Masters at the end of the night when we were shooting with them so that everybody would know what their place was and then we would put a stand in there for eye lines, and uh, Bob would shoot the coverage. Everybody else before Michael came in, and then when Michael showed up, we'd shoot the master and then, then Michael's side of the scene. So the camera doesn't move a lot, move around a lot in the at the dinner table because that was uh, of necessity. We didn't have Michael to shoot that way. This mall was a long schlep to get to this location from the studio, but it was the closest mall that we could find that had this hill looking down on the parking lot, which was critical for the sequence at the end of the movie when Marty comes back and watches himself.
4: Hey, Einstein, where's the dot, boy, huh?
0: We had to schedule the shooting of this scene to take place after Christmas. The movie started shooting in November. That was with Eric Stoltz, and we couldn't shoot in a mall during Christmas because it was Christ- there were Christmas decorations all over the place, and, and it was too crowded. It was still a working mall when we shot it, and we would shoot our close-up coverage first in a very small section of the parking lot that the mall people let us have, and then uh, by ten o'clock at night, all the employees were gone and. We could shoot the whole thing. We started filming this in January 1985, and we filmed a few nights with Eric Stoltz. It was during the filming of this that we made our casting change uh, on a night that uh, Neil will always remember. Tell him about it, Neil.
1: <laughs> uh, I was—I had a, uh, a beeper on. And my wife beat me. She was uh, pregnant, nine months pregnant, and uh, just after we gave Eric the news and spoke to the crew and let them know uh, know what was going on, my uh, beeper went off and I went to the payphone because we didn't have cell phones back then, and called my wife and she said, baby was due, it was time to come home, and I raced home. I figured it was the furthest point that I could possibly be. raced home and uh, took my wife to the hospital. My daughter was born and I came back to work on Monday. It was a proud father, a, a beautiful baby girl, and had a new actor, <laughs> in Michael J. Fox. Whoa,
3: whoa. Okay. Please note that Einstein's clock is in precise synchronization with my control watch.
4: Got it? Right, checked.
0: on. That insert, I remember, was a pain in the ass to get, to have both clocks both sort of the change, same time. change at okay. the exact same moment. There.
4: Get that thing hooked up to the in
0: a couple of these shots in the car with the dog in it we actually had a stunt guy wearing a dog costume who uh, could actually drive the car so the close-ups where you obviously you see it's a dog is the real dog and anything that was wide like this where uh, we were afraid you might see the dog was a stunt man in the dog, and the dog <laughs> <and> the dog <laughs> dog's dog's. head. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it was a
1: whole suit. It was a dog suit.
0: Because
1: we all know dogs can't drive cars. My this is,
0: of course, <laughs> a, an homage to the shaggy... Disney's the shaggy dog.
3: <laughs> You're gonna see some serious shit.
0: This, of course, a combination of first unit, second unit, and uh, inserts. Executive producer Frank Marshall was the second unit director. And he'd go out to the uh, mall after we were all finished with uh, storyboards and uh, stunt guys and uh, go out and shoot shots like that.
1: He would complain about how incredibly cold it was out there.
0: It was cold.
1: Actually, I think we even maybe had some snow on, on one day. I
0: think you're right. People frequently have asked why, what's the significance of 88 miles per hour? And the only significance to it is that it's easy to remember. Ah, what did I tell you? Now those fire trails, that was another major pain in the ass. In the shots where the fire ignites, I think we had to undercrank those. Some kind of combination of, of gasoline and pyrofluid. And uh, our special effects coordinator, Kevin Pike, always had great theories about why things were going to work, but uh, it seemed like uh, eight out of ten times the (laughs) the theories needed to go back to the drawing board a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of times we would get the fire lit, and by the time we were ready to roll, the fire would be out. We'd have to stop everything and start all over again.
3: I sent him into the future. One minute into the future, to be exact.
0: Now, notice the uh, the composition that, that uh, Bob uses, the blocking here, the disparity in the heights between Michael J. Fox and uh, Christopher Lloyd. This is one way that Bob came up with to compensate for that. So you'll notice throughout back one and back two, Bob uses this, uh, this blocking a lot where Christopher Lloyd is walking one way and Michael J. Fox is walking the other way, and they're walking back and forth in three-dimensional space. That's very effective. That's also very dynamic. I believe this was liquid nitrogen that came we out had sprayed all over the car to right. ice it up. That,
1: that's, that's right, and it was also it was a problem keeping it on the car. It would drip off uh, lots of, several times before we were ready to go.
0: This is the iciest you'll ever see the DeLorean. You'll notice as the movie goes on, when the DeLorean reappears from a time trip, there's less and less ice on it. And finally, by the time we're into the sequels, there basically isn't any. And I figured we used Mr. Fusion as an excuse why we weren't going to have ice on the car anymore, because uh, great idea, uh, great visual, and pain in the ass to (laughs) shoot.
3: And he's completely unaware that anything happened. As far as he's concerned, the trip was instantaneous. That's why his watch is exactly one minute behind mine. He skipped over that minute to instantly arrive at this moment in time. Come here. I'll show you how it works.
0: Now the red, green, and yellow of the different time displays is again another uh, homage to the George Powell time machine where he had three uh, light bulbs over the time display thing that uh, were in those colors.
3: This
0: is one of my favorite jokes that nobody ever laughs at but, uh, Jesus was born on December 25th November in the year 5th, zero
4: probably still yeah. not
0: laughing <laughs> <laughs> November 5th is, happens to be my father's birthday my father I think believes to this day that this is a great homage to him um it was just the right day with the right, right day of the week to make the thing work out right in the script. And we picked November because of the time of the year that we were shooting the movie and, of course, to make it make sense that they would be having things like a school dance at school. We obviously couldn't have it take place in August because there wouldn't be any school. God,
3: has it been that long? Things have certainly changed around here. I remember when this was all farmland as far as the eye could see.
0: Again, blatant exposition here. And what takes the uh, takes the curse off of it is uh, a great actor saying it with a crazed look in his eye.
4: This is, uh, this is heavy duty, doc. This is great. Uh, does it run like on, on regular unleaded gasoline? Unfortunately, no. It requires something with a little more kick. Plutonium. Uh, plutonium, wait a minute. Are you- are you telling me
0: Notice uh, Doc's truck there, hey, hey, E. Brown Enterprises 24-Hour no, Scientific no, 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 Services. Miracle, Our thinking was that the, the folks in Hill Valley, if need they needed a, a know, scientist a a day store, or night, and, and could simply call Doc Brown and he'd be there in his truck to do whatever service a scientist would be required for. They wanted
3: me to build them a bomb, so I took their plutonium and in turn gave them a shiny bomb casing full of used pinball machine parts. Come on, let's get you a radiation suit. We must prepare to remove
0: Now, this plutonium is actually uh, fairly accurate. I remember uh, John Zemanski, our prop man, actually had a guy come to the parking lot at Amblin with some things that looked just like this to show us how plutonium would be stored and uh, and carted around. So, for those of you that might be interested to know what plutonium would look like, uh, I don't actually know if it would be red like that, but... It would be carried around in a uh, case in units like that. Don't you
3: lose all those tapes now. See that? Let's put this back here. There we go. Whoop, whoop. almost forgot my luggage. I mean, who knows if they've got cotton underwear in the future. Well, I'm allergic to all synthetics.
0: If you've uh, looked at the deleted scenes, uh, you'll see the scene that we used that suitcase for. And if you haven't looked at the deleted scenes, uh, You can stop the DVD and check it out. See what were you missed? Uh, Doc, Uh,
4: look me up when you get there. Indeed,
2: I will.
0: And Doc talks about uh, going into the future to find out who wins the next 25 World Series here. Uh, Of course, at the time that Bob and I wrote that, we had no idea that we'd be doing a World Series gag in uh, Back to the Future 2. But uh, there it is.
3: What am I thinking of? I almost forgot to bring extra plutonium. How do I ever expect to get back? One pellet, one chip. I must be out of my mind.
0: And I was told that <laughs> when oh, NBC I... ran this movie recently, about uh, four or five months ago, and this is uh, June 2002, we're recording this, uh, oh they edited out hey, I don't know how, but they found some or all of the terrorist mind. stuff who, who? here, I guess, Please. In the network's desire to be politically correct, they didn't want to offend any uh, any terrorists, Holy be they Libyans shit. or anybody else.
1: Right, we were a bit ahead of our time with Libyans wanting plutonium.
0: Uh, actually, we weren't. That was something that was that was pretty topical then and there. Gaddafi yeah. was trying to trying to get a bomb. Anyway, the moral to that story is: uh, don't watch movies on uh, network television if you uh, <laughs> want to see the movies the real way they're supposed to be. We were criticized for that being too violent uh, when the movie came out but it had to be violent because we needed to make this incredibly powerful impression on marty so that he would be motivated to write that letter and uh, want to do something to avert doc's death
2: Stop. Stop
0: can't really hear the dialogue there, but uh, one terrorist says, uh, damn Soviet gun and the gun jams, and the other one, when he can't get the car started, he says, damn German car. <laughs> now, story-wise, it was important that uh, Marty goes back in time accidentally. Bob and I struggled with this for a long time. Traditionally, in time travel movies, the time traveler wants to go, go travel through time and does something because he wants to travel through time that messes things up. Well, we didn't want to mess anything up. Obviously, we wanted to make things turn out better. And so the solution to that was to make sure that it was clear that our hero did not want to go back in time. And once he got back in time, all he wanted to do was get back. And for you continuity geeks out there that uh, like to find uh, continuity mistakes, we know that the odometer, the numbers on the odometer aren't consistent from one shot to the next. It's a movie, don't worry about it. You're supposed to be watching whether the needle hits 88 and not what the odometer says. Was filmed at the Disney Ranch in uh, Newhall. This wonderful barn there, and that shot was uh, undercranked. We shot it a couple of times at different speeds, and that was the one that was the most effective. That's the fastest turn on of lights and moving from upstairs to downstairs in the history cinema there
2: oh, what
3: is it oh, what is it Paul? looks like an airplane
0: i have a vague recollection oh, that the,
1: the woman there in the scene was late Look. arriving we thought maybe she wasn't going to show up and we tried to talk uh, one of the hairdressers that's right dorothy, dorothy burn right? into yeah. into getting dressed and she was dressed in the outfit and just, then the, actress and the showed up. and then that's she showed the, I up
0: forgot about that that's a fake comic book by the way he made that obviously to make it look like the DeLorean, but it's inspired by uh, EC Comics and uh, Weird Science Comics. Cows are always good for a laugh, so we have cows.
4: Ah, uh, excuse me. Sorry about your barn. It's already mutated into human form. Shoot it! Take that, you mutated son of a bitch! Ah! Oh,
0: my God! I'm you. Of course, uh... When pines are now a lone pine, and the payoff for that is again at the end of the movie. All right, all right,
4: okay, we fly. Get a grip on yourself. It's all a dream. This
0: is a process shot here. Uh, I don't remember whether we actually shot these plates or whether we found them in stock. I think it was stock. I think we found them in stock. And this is uh, this is near uh, Chino, California. About an hour and twenty-minute drive from the studio. This was a really tough location to find, just to find a big, vast section of farmland like this, close to Los Angeles. It's probably not farmland anymore, it's probably all uh, housing and condos and stuff. But the weather gods were certainly on our side when we shot this, because we had to bust the crew way the hell out here. And uh, we couldn't have asked for a better day. Originally in the script, the uh, housing development was gonna be under construction, but that was too expensive to do, so the construction s- became simply Gosh. a billboard. Right. And... I think we
1: even, we even scouted some sites that were under construction. Right, but and
0: there, there was not a sense of big open space right. like we had here, so we decided that the billboard would work and certainly it's absolutely as effective. This is probably impossible to do for him to actually get the car back there like that with, uh, with it dead. But uh, it's a movie. It solves a lot of problems. I don't remember whether Miller gave us any money for putting their truck there, but. They did give us free beer, yeah, so they gave us product right. on Fridays. Everybody got to go home with a couple of beers, and on Friday that was pretty important for the crew. This was a gag that uh, Bob came up with right on the spot. There was one gas station attendant in uniform, and uh, Bob saw that and suddenly said, "Oh wait." I know a great gag we got to do, and he made uh, Deborah Scott, our uh, costume designer, uh, go scour through the studio to find three more costumes like that. And that's a great gag; it's a yeah. big laugh.
1: I think we also shot this sequence on a Saturday, as that's, I recall, because right. of Michael's uh, television schedule. Right. And so we needed daytime work; we couldn't get him uh, except on a Saturday. And it turned out it was a beautiful day with uh,
0: yeah, with these big clouds, big clouds, and blue sky. And all. So, Today of course. gave uh, it a real fifties feel. You'd you'd put that sky in digitally if you didn't have the sky that you wanted. Right. Mm. But you'd still have to shoot it on Saturn. <laughs> <laughs> the future is in your hands.
1: If you believe in progress, re-elect Mayor Red Thomas. Progress is his name.
0: The uh, picture of Red Thomas there, that was Hal Gaussman, our set decorator. Jobs, civic no clearance is necessary when you use pictures of the crew for those things, so that's what we did. And it's a testament to uh, Larry Paul's production design here that everybody on the crew said that this street reminded them of where they grew up, whether it was a suburb or a small town or bigger city. This is one of the few interior exterior sets on the Universal back lot, and it's been used hey kid, in countless do, Universal movies. What?
4: Well, what's with the life preserver?
0: I think this was used as a drugstore in The Sting. It might have been. That's Norm Alden there, well-known character actor.
4: Great. You're
0: alive. The phone book gives you the impression that uh, Hill Valley's a much bigger area than, than it probably is. <laughs> uh, the Browns are a pretty big family, judging by how many of them there are in the phone book there.
4: 40, are you going to order something,
0: right. kid? Now, I remember that uh, yeah. Pepsi, who we had a deal with, yeah, asked us to take out the something. reference to tab right, in the movie.
4: Pepsi free. You we told him nothing doing.
0: That it. It was too good of a joke. Just
4: give me something without any sugar in it, okay?
0: Of it's course, you probably don't know what tab is anymore. It was a very popular diet drink, mostly in the 70s, and in fact, by 1985, when the movie came out, Tab was pretty well history, but it was too good of a joke for us to not use.
4: Biff. Hey, I'm talking to you, Mcfly, you Irish bug. Oh, hey, Biff. Hey, guys, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah. You got my homework finished, Mcfly? Uh, well, actually, there's yeah, Billy
0: Zane there, by the so way. If you saw Titanic, uh, you know Anybody who Billy home? Zane is. Hi. This was hey, his first movie. Thing. Oh, okay. I gotta have time to recopy it. Do you realize what would happen if I hand in my homework in your handwriting? I'll get kicked out of school. You wouldn't want that to happen, would you? Would you?
3: Well,
4: now of course not. <laughs> no, I wouldn't no. want that to happen. So what are you looking at, butthead? Hey, Biff gave over of this guy's life preserver. Dork thinks he's gonna drown. Yeah. So uh, how about my homework, McFly? Uh, okay, Biff. Well, I'll, uh, I'll finish that on up tonight, and then I'll uh, bring it over first thing tomorrow morning.
0: Not too early, I sleep in Sunday. Oh, mm-hmm. McFly,
4: your shoe's are untied. Uh, oh, uh, <laughs> don't be so gullible, McFly. Okay. I don't
0: want to see you in here okay. again. <laughs> All right, bye-bye. <laughs> as I recall, Crispin did come up with this uh, business of him eating his cereal like that. And uh, as many problems as we had with him matching He'd really worked out when he was going to have a mouthful of cereal, so that was something we didn't have any continuity problems with.
4: What do you let those boys push you around like that for? Well, they're bigger than me. Stand tall, boy. Have some respect for yourself. Don't you know if you let people walk over you now, they'll be walking over you for the rest of your life. Look at me.
0: This actor's name is, uh, believe it or not, Donald Donald Full of Love
4: gonna make something of myself, I'm going to night school, and one day I'm gonna be somebody. gonna of course, Ryan,
0: he's uh, gonna be mayor. he did not really have a gold tooth, but uh, mayor. through the magic of uh, makeup and appliances, he does. Here. A colored mayor, that'll be the day.
4: You wait and see, Mr. Carruthers, I will be mayor. I'll be the most powerful man in Hill Valley, and I'm gonna clean up this town. Good, you can start by sweeping the floor.
3: Man, Goldie Wilson. I like the sound of that.
0: That's a great vintage bike that we got from Schwinn there. Hey, Dad! George! Hey, you and the bike! This is uh, South Pasadena, Bushnell Avenue as I recollect. And When we shot with Eric Stoltz, this was actually the very first thing in the movie that we filmed. When we were scouting this location with Eric Stoltz, Michael J. Fox was shooting Teen Wolf on the same street, and he always talked about how he remembered the some Spielberg company was there scouting, and how he wished he could be in a Spielberg movie someday. Dad. One of the greatest sound effects that head hit on the cement there. And another uh, specialty of, uh, of Chuck Campbell, our sound effects editor, is the barking dogs. Anytime there's something loud that happens on a street. Chuck would always give us some barking dogs back there, wonderful little touch.
4: Mom, is that you?
5: You're there now. Just relax. You've been asleep for almost this nine hours. This course
0: uh, back on a set again. had a horrible nightmare. Our sound man, Bill Kaplan, back was is and, and remains to this day a total fanatic about trying to have the most perfect production sound he can create.
4: 1955.
0: And so he went to great lengths to uh, put the right kind of sponges to absorb the rain falling outside the window so that the sound of the water falling would not ruin the production track. And thank God he did because we didn't have to loop any of the scene.
5: Then Just relax, Calvin. You've got a big bruise on your head. <sighs> ah. Where are my pants? Over there, on my hope chest. I've never seen purple underwear before, Calvin.
0: Calvin Leah Thompson was just absolutely Calvin? wonderful here.
5: That is your name, isn't it? Calvin Klein? This was
0: one of the audition scenes that we had for Lorraine. Underwear. and. Uh, she God. just nailed it. She was it. great. Yeah. She was no, great. She was great.
4: Call me Marty. Oh,
5: pleased to meet you, Calvin. Marty? Clyde.
0: All the little touches that uh, Larry Paul and uh, Todd Halliwell, the art director, came up with, just putting all those photographs around her you? mirror of uh, heartthrobs from oh, the 50s. It's not something that you notice really, but if you do, it just kind of helps you understand that uh, the rain is really boy crazy. Oh
5: my God, it's my mother. Quick, put your pants back on.
0: And this is pure Michael J. Fox right. here. This is the kind of stuff he could do. He's so great at. He could just do that, and he could do it every time.
2: Me. I guess you're a
3: sailor. I guess that's why you wear that life preserver.
0: Francis Lee McCain. Uh, as uh, Stella the Baines there, there. He's all right, thank and uh, George Dicenzo is uh, Sam age. Baines. Bob and I met George Dicenzo and actually wrote dialogue for him during Close Encounters. Uh, he played a Army Colonel or General, Air Force Colonel or General.
4: So you're my Uncle Joey. Gotta get used to these bars, kid. Uh,
5: yes, Joey just loves
1: being in his playpen. He cries whenever we take him out, so we just leave him in there all the time. Well, Marty, I hope you like
4: meatloaf. Well, uh, listen,
3: I was really Sit here, Marty. Sam, stop fiddling with that thing, and come in here and eat your dinner. Mm. Oh, ho, oh, oh. ho! Look at it roll. <laughs> now we can watch Jackie Gleason while we eat. <laughs>
5: First television set. Dad just picked it up today. Do you have a television?
4: Oh well, yeah, you know we have two of them.
5: Wow, you must be rich.
0: Oh honey, he's teasing
1: you. Nobody has two television sets. Hey.
0: Now, when the movie was translated into uh, Italian
4: a man from space. It,
0: in Italy, all television was uh, state-controlled, so they did not have they a word run, for rerun. Rerun? What's a
4: rerun?
0: Nobody in Italy would have known what that word meant. So in Italy, this scene was translated as, uh, I saw it on cassette, meaning, because they did have uh, VHS machines over there by 1985. You
4: can't. Right, and didn't you have
1: to uh, change... Uh, for overseas, uh, the Calvin Klein. Children. Oh, that's right, they didn't yeah, know, they didn't that's know right. Calvin, Calvin
0: Klein, was. Klein wasn't, wasn't well-known over there either, so do you, do you know where I think it was uh, Yves Saint Laurent was uh, uh, in France. and No, Pierre Cardin, it was Pierre Cardin. So they, Marty was always called Pierre in, uh, in Europe.
3: Who the hell is John F. Kennedy?
5: Uh, mother, uh, with Marty's parents out of town, don't you think he ought to spend the night? I mean, after all, Dad almost killed him with the car. This
0: was an actual practical location in South Pasadena. Oh, baby, you
4: should spend the night. I think you're our responsibility. what oh, gee, I don't know. And he can sleep in my room. I gotta
5: go.
0: Uh, I'm trying to remember, did we shoot this on a Saturday, or was Michael finished with his show by the time we did this? Uh, um, I think he was done with his show. I don't think this was a Saturday.
5: He's a very strange young man.
3: He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. Parents are probably idiots, too. Lorraine, you ever have a kid who acts that way out to Sonia?
0: Now, this is the Gamble House in uh, Pasadena, a uh, great example of craftsman architecture built by architects Green and Green, and it's a tourist attraction, so... It's
1: a California landmark.
0: If you uh, come out to Southern California, be sure to check it out. Now, the close up here, this door was a different green and green house in another part of Pasadena called the Blacker House. We weren't allowed to shoot inside the Gamble House. So, this, by being the same architects, was a pretty good
3: match.
0: And again, this was a scene that we had originally shot with Eric Stoltz, and we had to go back to the same location to shoot it with Michael.
3: I'm gonna read your thoughts.
0: And the woman who owned the house had sold it from when we filmed there the first time. Uh, And our location manager came to us and said, you guys, you gotta film in here before escrow closes uh, because I don't know if I'll be able to make a deal with the new owners. So we begged Gary Goldberg to let Michael out of his rehearsals for two days so that we could shoot there before escrow closed on this house. And Gary was uh, kind enough to let us do that.
4: 1985.
3: My God. Do you know what this means? It means that this damn thing doesn't work at all. God, you gotta
4: help me. You were the only one who I think
1: This is one of the very first things we shot with Michael. I have that recollection.
0: No, I think this yep. was this was much this was much further along. This was like in March.
4: Okay, all right, I'll prove it to you. Look at my driver's license. Expires 1987. Look at my birthday for crying out loud. I, I haven't even been born yet. And look at this picture. It's my brother, my sister, and me. Look at her sweatshirt, Doc. Class of 1984 pretty mediocre photographic
0: fakery. They cut off your mother's hair. Now, this uh, disappearing Doc, photo Doc, gag me. is me. a wonderful example You're of uh, what Bob and I, I refer to as movie logic versus real logic. There's no real sense yeah, sure. as to why the that characters would disappear from this Care photograph one by one. I why don't they me all me disappear at the same, the same time? Well, but it's one of those we things where you see it and you believe it. Uh, why doesn't the photograph itself start to disappear? But it doesn't.
1: This is a set again. This is a
0: set again. The, obviously, the wide shot was at the Gamble House, and then this is on stage 12 at Universal.
4: And you fell, and you hit your head on the sink. And that's when he came up with the idea for the flux capacitor, which is what makes time travel possible.
0: This was the back lot at Universal. We, there's no reason to go all the way back out to Chino to shoot this when you weren't going to see anything. Our effects guys uh, brought the fog machines, and uh, this was up near the cycle house, as That's I remember. Right. Yeah.
3: After I fell off my toilet,
4: I drew this capacitor.
0: By the way, you'll see the toilet that Doc fell off of in uh, Back to the Future Part (laughs) 3. So stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) Now Doc builds the time machine for himself, but he felt compelled to create Dymo labels there saying to shield your eyes from the flash of the flux capacitor, I guess to remind himself that it was dangerous. I've
3: oh, got to sneak this back to my
4: laboratory. We've got to get you home. Hey Doc, this is it.
0: The deleted scene of uh, Docs going through his suitcase and looking at his belongings uh, at oh, came man. right before this scene here. Thank
3: God, i still got my hair. What on earth is this thing
4: I'm wearing? Well, wow, this, this is a uh, radiation suit. Radiation suit? Of course of And as
0: I recollect, it wasn't quite as easy to find a black and white television that we could do this with as we thought. And what we ended up doing was taking a color set and putting it into the shell of a black and white set and treating the video to look like this so that it would look like it was black and white. That's It was That's actually right. a color set. That's
1: right. It's one of those things that we you know, just thought would be a simple thing to do and it turned out. It was very complicated.
0: There's always those things in movies. You think something's going to be a snap to do. and Turns out to be to a headache and a half. 1.21
3: gigawatts! 1.21 gigawatts! God.
0: There's a Marlin on uh, Doc's wall there to the right. Uh, another Another unseeming so adventure of Doc 1.21 Brown.
3: 1.21 gigawatts! Tom, how am I going to generate that kind of power? It can't be done,
4: can it? Uh, but all we need is a little plutonium.
0: These uh, portraits of uh, Isaac Newton, Ben Franklin, Thomas Edison, and Albert Einstein there uh, are seen at the very beginning of the movie when we're exploring Doc's lab during the credits.
1: And this is back in uh, Pasadena. Right. And uh, it was one of the most difficult scenes we had to shoot, uh, partly because we had uh, airplanes constantly flying overhead. And Bob was trying to get it all in one. Uh, and we couldn't get all the way through without having the airplane uh, noise come in, and having to cut the shot.
3: Is a bolt of what did you
4: say?
1: And there was also a time restriction in Pasadena as to how late. Uh, how late you could shoot? You could That's shoot, right. and we were like the you know the edge of the envelope on the on the time restriction.
0: Right. Yeah, all the trucks had to be off the street by 10 o'clock, as I remember, which means we had to wrap shooting by 9 p.m.
3: This is the answer. It says here that a bolt of lightning is gonna strike Here's
0: that back and forth composition again with uh, Christopher Lloyd walking back and forth in three-dimensional space.
3: If we could somehow harness this lightning, channel it into the flux capacitor, it just might work.
4: Next Saturday night, we're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Saturday's good. Saturday's good. I can spend a week in 1955. I can hang out. You can show me around. Marty, that is completely out of the question. You must not. Your son
0: didn't like that uh, anybody, that fire going in the anybody fireplace anybody either. Right. The planes <laughs> were driving him crazy, so he was okay. <laughs> yeah, compared to the planes, <laughs> it was nothing. Yeah.
4: Sure. Okay.
0: Marty, my <laughs> recollection is we finally did get did it right. Uh, uh, we did. did we did get it clean and didn't have to loop it. I'm, but yeah, well, that's just my recollection. I could be wrong. No,
1: I think we did. I think we did it about 30 30 times, 32 times.
3: (laughs) Just as I thought. This proves my theory. Look at your brother.
4: His head's gone. It's like it's it's been erased.
0: Erased. The fact that Doc is able to figure all this out so quickly is a testament to his true genius.
4: Whoa, they really cleaned this place up.
0: Back at right Whittier High School. I remember and in the deleted scenes, you'll see the bit that we cut out, out where uh, Marty finds Lorraine sitting in class uh, cheating. Your will follow, and you're we just cut that out just because, because we decided we didn't really need it.
3: Which <mirror sound> one's your pop?
4: That's him.
0: Uh, Ron Woodward, who's running for the class president there on the left, was our key grip. And he didn't <laughs> win. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus,
4: didn't that guy ever have hair? Hey, Buckman, you're a slacker.
0: Do you want to be a slacker? in my high school. His name was Bailey Burkhead, and uh, he always used to say, "Let me give you Nicholas Worth of free advice." So uh, some of my friends from high school, when they saw the movie. Uh, wrote to me telling me that they fell out of their chairs when the they heard Strickland case. say that line.
3: Raps hospitals when nurses fall in love with their patients.
4: Go to it, kid. Hey, George. Buddy. I have been looking all over for you. you remember me, the guy who saved your life the other day? Oh, yeah. Good. There's somebody I'd like you to meet.
0: And that uh, sign way down there in the background, uh, Bulldogs versus Indians, uh, those were my junior high school and high school teams, oh, respectively. And you're the writer, you can just write stuff for the art department to put on signs, and, uh, and they do it for you. So, a lot of in-jokes from my hometown. Including, by the way, the Lions, uh, the Lions, Lions Estates. Uh, the entrance to uh, University City, Missouri, has uh, Lions uh, on the main street.
3: Doc, she didn't even look at him. This is more serious than I thought. Apparently, your mother is amorously infatuated with
4: you instead of your father. Whoa! Wait, wait a minute, Doc. Are you trying to tell me that my mother has got the odds? I love for Doc's uh,
0: shirts in this movie. He's always wearing these great that Hawaiian shirts. Why are they so heavy That's not exactly are a Hawaiian or shirt, or I guess, but what? it's way loud way to enough to be one. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so you've got to get your father and mother to interact in some sort of social.
4: Well, what you mean, like a date? What? Right.
2: Well, what kind of
4: date? I don't know
0: what. And one of the rules of uh, of how Doc Brown talks is that he never uses a small they, word together? if he can think of a big word. Nothing. So he has a hard time ah. coming up with the idea of a dance. Of course,
4: the enchantment under the sea dance. There's supposed
0: even though it, it know, says it exactly right in front of him. Where
4: they kiss for the first time. All right, kid.
3: You stick to your father like glue and make sure he takes you to the dance, George.
4: Buddy, remember that girl I introduced you to, Lorraine? What are you writing? Uh, stories, science fiction stories about uh, visitors coming down to Earth from other planets. Get out of town! I didn't know you did anything creative. Well, let me read some. Oh no, 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 no! I never, I never let anybody read my stories. Why not? Well, what if they didn't like them? What if they told me I was no good? I guess that would be pretty hard for somebody to understand. Uh, no, no, not hard at all. So anyway, George, about Lorraine. She really likes you. She told me to tell you that she wants you to ask her to the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. Really? Oh, yeah. All you gotta do is go over there and ask her. What, right here, right now in the cafeteria? What if she said no? I don't know if I could take that kind of a rejection. Besides, I think she'd rather go with somebody else. Ah, uh, who? Beth. Don't kill us. Come on. What you, well, you want it. You know you want it. You know you want me to I'm give sure. it to you. Shut <laughs> your
1: filthy mouth. I'm
5: not that kind of girl. Ooh.
4: Well, maybe you are, and you just don't know it yet.
5: Get your meat hooks off of me.
4: You heard her. She said, get your meat hooks off. Ah, oh, please. So what's it to you, butthead? You know, you've been looking for a.
0: Since you're new here, uh, I'm going to cut you a break. Today. So why don't you make like a tree? And get out of here. Incidentally, Billy Zane is not in this scene with uh, Biff's guys. I think we shot this on a Saturday uh, and Billy just wasn't available to, to work that day. So he, he wasn't in it. You don't really miss him. But uh, in case you're wondering why Biff only has two guys with him instead of three, that's why. This is the same street in South Pasadena where uh, Lorraine's house was. was. Two or three doors down the street. And, uh, I'm just not ready. Worked out perfectly to have uh, this other house next you? door to the first Anybody one.
4: else on this planet is gonna make me change my mind.
0: And science fiction theater is an actual real television show from the nineteen fifties.
4: Science fiction theater. By the way, that
0: wishing well in the photograph there is at Amblin, at the Amblin Office at Universal. And that Fantastic Story magazine there is something that our prop guy found, or our set decorator found. It was not something that we made for the movie. It was just uh, so perfect and looked so much like Darth Vader that uh, we had to use it. The uh, tape is labeled Edward Van Halen instead of Van Halen. There was some. Uh, and
1: we couldn't get permission from the entire group, but Eddie Van Halen gave us permission, so.
0: So, we, we, yeah, we were able to identify it as him personally, but not called Van Halen the group.
4: I am an extraterrestrial from the planet Vulcan.
0: Here's the hair dryer. <laughs> right there's the hair dryer, which uh, you'll see the long version then in the deleted scenes.
4: Party. Party. hey George, buddy, you weren't in school. What have you been doing all day? I overslept look I need your help I have to ask Lorena but I don't and this know is
0: just a wonderful it. throwaway gag with uh, Michael not heavy. being able to open up the Pepsi bottle because a kid from the 80s would only be used to twist off soft drink bottle caps.
4: George, last night, Darth Vader came down from Planet Vulcan and told me that if I didn't take Lorraine out, that he'd melt my brain. Yeah, well, uh, let's let's just keep this brain-melting stuff to ourselves, okay? Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, okay. All right, there she is, George. Then just go in there and invite her. Okay, but I don't know what to say. Well, you say anything, George. Say, well, whatever.
0: Crispin really natural, is good well, in this movie. And uh, it's too bad that uh, to he had such strange ideas and well, attitudes well, about... Nothing, uh, nothing how an actor should behave.
4: Look, tell her Destiny brought you together. Tell her that she is the most beautiful girl you've ever seen in the world. Girls like that stuff. What are, you, what are you doing I'm writing this down. This is good stuff. Yeah, okay. Ho, oh. let's go. Oh. you take care of right.
0: Our music supervisor, Bones Howe, Did a great job coming up with uh, songs that clearly were not rock and roll and didn't have much R&B aspect to them to create a contrast to Johnny B. Good when you hear that later on. Dance With Me Henry is the name of that song.
4: My density has popped me to you. What? Oh, what I meant to say.
0: I'm trying to remember, Neil. If this was another, uh, if this was another somewhere. Saturday shoot. Yeah, I
1: think it was. Yes. It was.
4: Yes, I'm George. George These
0: Saturday George shoots were very expensive.
1: And I remember Crispin had a cold. That's why his voice kind of sounds like that. That yeah.
0: it really worked the same. <laughs> Absolutely did. Because
1: when he first came in, he said he couldn't speak
0: and reply this is great one of those great movie gags where the music just stops somebody unplugs the jukebox to enhance the dramatic effect of this no reason for it
4: how much you want Biff? what's that? That's Calvin Klein. Oh,
0: my God. Now I should tell you a pretty good story about uh, finding the skateboard experts that helped us design this skateboard chase.
4: I'll get it back to you, all
0: right? Remember, this is... Uh, we're in pre-production. This is in 1984, and skateboarding is, uh, is not the popular thing that it is now. Nobody, there were no skateboarders who had any name recognition the way there are today. So I decided to go down to Venice Beach on a Sunday because every crazy person that has a weird skill is always hanging around Venice on on a Sunday afternoon. So I'm walking around and there were two guys doing this skateboard demonstrations. They were terrific and I watched them for a while and. I thought, these are the guys guys we need to help us. So I started talking to him and I felt like the biggest jerk in the world to go up to these guys and say, hey, uh, I'm producing this movie and uh, we need some skateboarders. But (laughs) you have to do that sometimes. So that's what I did and I gave him this big speech about how I'm producing this movie and we had the skateboard chase. And uh, I'm wondering, what are these guys gonna say? And uh, one of them pulls out his business card and then he says, my agent's name is on this card. Just call her and she'll set it up. And it turns out that this guy was, uh was his name, and he was a European skateboard champion. Uh, and his friend was a guy named Bobby Schmelzer. Uh, who we actually, used, he was a perfect stunt double for Eric Stoltz. So we used him when we shot this with Eric. And of course, uh, when we shot with Michael, he was uh, uh, five inches too tall. So Michael's stunt double was uh, Charlie Kroll, who is now a stunt coordinator, one of the best in the business. And just a really skilled and terrific guy, and very bright, and uh, he helped us uh, figure out how to do some of this stuff and uh, learned how to skateboard because he didn't really know that much about it and uh, did a great job. Now, you notice here that the tinge of the set is uh, more sepia than uh, blue. I can't exactly remember why that was the case.
4: You know, something I haven't told you about the night we made
3: that. Please, Marty, don't tell me. No man should know too much about his own destiny. You don't understand. I do understand. If I know too much about my own future, i can endanger my own existence, just as if you've endangered yours. You're, you're right. Now. Let me show you my plan for sending you home. Please excuse the crudity of this This model. was the art
0: department in their glory. I love so the ketchup bottles and me. all the different salt and salt pepper shakers, right? All the stuff that you look top top at it and you can sort of identify what now, it any is. Any over the
3: street between these two lampposts. Meanwhile, we've outfitted the time vehicle with this big pole and hook, which runs directly into the flux capacitor. At the calculator moment, You start off from down the street, driving directly toward the I should talk
0: about gigawatts for a second. The proper pronunciation is, of course, gigawatts. And when Bob and I were doing research, we talked to somebody who mispronounced it, gigawatts. And we were actually completely unfamiliar with the term. Uh, And we thought that that was was how it was supposed to be said. Uh, It does come from the Greek root. GIGOS for gigantic, so I suppose it's not beyond the realm of possibility, but never having heard of it, we actually spelled it in the script, uh, J-I-G-O-W-A-T-T. So a gigawatt is actually supposed to be a gigawatt, a million watts. Set. So the mystery of the gigawatts is now solved. Release. And this scene, of course, is a classic uh, World War II, uh, here's the mission, boys, and uh, this is what we're gonna do. And you show the mission, you show what's supposed to happen so that when things start to go wrong, the audience completely understands what's going wrong and what has to happen for it to be right.
3: You just take care of your pop? By the way, what happened today? Did he ask her out? I think so. What did she say? It's your mom! She's it down! Let's cover the timer!
0: This is the only scene in all three movies that uh, Leah has with Christopher Lloyd.
4: Ray, uh, how did you know I
0: was here? We always thought it was amazing. That she did these movies and never really oh, got uh, to play my, uh, any kind of a my scene uncle. with Chris. Doc. This is about as much as <laughs> they get to do, looking at each other there.
5: Uh, Marty, this may seem a little forward, but I was kind of wondering if you, if you'd ask me to the Enchantment under the sea dance on Saturday
4: Wow you mean I mean nobody's asked you
0: no I think uh, that shirt that Michael's wearing was something that uh, Deborah Scott just found in the wardrobe department I don't remember her making many clothes at all in this movie finding just about everything I think we didn't have the budget we didn't have the budget to make things.
5: So he can stand up for himself and protect the woman he loves. Mm. Mm.
4: Don't you? Yeah. I still don't. Chris
0: Lloyd understand. just nodding in his How agreement to that to <laughs> scene. It's just Chris just does great stuff like that.
4: Because George, she wants to go with you. She just doesn't know it yet. That's why we got to show that you, George McFly, are a. Now again,
0: for uh, for all you continuity geeks, um, you can watch the uh, flaps of Michael J. Fox's pocket. It goes in and out. There, it's in, and uh, I think in the next shot, it's out again.
4: Yeah, this is
1: one of those things that we never noticed in all the times that we uh, were looking at
0: the movie. And we got a letter about it. It's one of the first letters we ever received. Right. And we went back to the editing room. And you're surprised. You're always surprised. There's always a couple things like that that happen where you just never notice something and boom, there it is. So, for all of you that have watched the movie as many times as you have and never noticed it, now you'll never be able to watch this scene without Not noticing awesome. that flap.
4: so, 9 o'clock, you're strolling through the parking lot. You see us, uh, struggling in the car. So up,
0: I remember this was actually the down. exterior of uh, Lorraine's house.
1: Yes, it was. It was the backyard at Lorraine's oh, uh, house, and all that grass hey you, there was hey cement. You we put the, the grass her. in for them.
0: That's right. If
4: you really think I ought to swear? Yes, definitely. God damn it, George, swear! Okay. So now you come up, you punch me in the stomach. I'm out for the count, right? And you and Lorraine live.
0: And the clothesline just. One of those great period touches that uh, adds so much, you don't think about them anymore. (laughs) That was what people did to dry their clothes before there were clothes dryers, but uh, all you kids watching this, that was the case. The voice on the radio there giving the weather report is our sound effects editor, Chuck Campbell, who has a very wonderful resonant radio announcer's voice. No, Marty, and be we begged him so to know. do that. Really he finally relented.
3: Just knowing that I'm going to be around to see 1985, that I'm going to succeed in this, that I'm going to have a chance to
0: the Packard there. Uh, that was everybody on the crew wanted that. Wanted that Packard. That was uh, some private really collector hard, had that car, and about about that's everybody lusted days. for that Packard.
2: I'm really going to miss you, Marty.
0: It ran every time, too. He Mm -hmm. took damn good care of it, unlike the DeLorean.
4: Doc, about the future. No! Marty!
3: We've already agreed that having information about the future could be extremely dangerous, even if your intentions are good.
0: There are some people that will claim that that guy that just rode the bicycle behind Chris there was the Doc Brown of Back to the Future Part Two, riding his bicycle looking for Marty. That's not true, but time, it's a good story. You will
4: be shot by terrorists. Please take whatever precautions are necessary. Now, there's
0: another continuity mistake on this letter that, again, we got a letter Your from friend. a kid in Japan, actually. One of the words at the, front, at the end of a line is when the letter is put back together at the very end of the movie is at the front of a line. Again, we never noticed that, and fact that somebody in Japan would, would notice that he doesn't even speak English and would write us a letter in uh, very bad English about it. Some people don't have enough to do, I guess. You uh, got a permit for that?
3: Of course I do.
0: The actor playing the cop is uh, Reed Morgan. Reed is uh, a great character actor, and Bob and I use him in I Want to Hold Your Hand. Benny sports fans, he played basketball at the University of Kentucky for Adolf Rupp. I didn't know that. <laughs> this shot is done off of the remote hothead camera, which was a stage crane camera. Which Bob used extensively in this uh, dance. A much better version of the Luma crane. It took a couple of weeks for the camera operator to be comfortable using it because he wasn't able to look through the lens when he operated it. He could only watch it on a TV monitor. Park? For a while.
5: It's a great idea. I'd love to park. Marty, I'm almost 18 years old. It's not like I've never parked before. What? Marty, you seem so nervous. Is something wrong?
0: Do we shoot all this on location here, Neil? Yes. I get confused with part one and part two. This was... Yeah, this was on location. This was all on location, both sides of it. Yes.
5: I swiped it from the old lady's liquor cabinet. Yeah, well... You shouldn't drink
1: in uh, Whittier. The interior of the dances in
0: uh, Yeah, the, the, the gymnasium, yeah, right. That's the, that's the Methodist church on the corner of, uh, of Franklin and Highland in Hollywood. We have a terrific gymnasium there, and we uh, were able to shoot during the daytime um, because it's not a real school. We could only shoot at Whittier High School on Saturdays during school vacations and at night. And in fact, between shooting with Eric Stoltz and with Michael J. Fox, we shot there both over Christmas vacation and spring vacation. Don't
2: nobody, don't know.
5: so nervous
4: rain Have you ever
0: this uh, was the scene that was too risque for uh, for the Walt Disney, Disney, Disney Company and uh, was the reason that they them. would not consider uh, having us make this movie for them
5: oh, uh, sort of oh, I, th- I think I know exactly what you mean you, d- you do you know what I do in those situations what? I don't worry.
0: Actually, this, this is what I was thinking of. This shot here, we shot later. Yes. This was shot on the stage.
1: Right, because we were missing her reaction, we
0: thought. Her reaction didn't work, or right. whatever we had.
5: This is all wrong. I, I don't know what it is. But when I kiss you, it's like I'm kissing. My brother. I guess that doesn't make any sense, does it?
4: Believe me, it makes perfect sense.
5: Somebody's coming. You caused 300 bucks
3: damage to my car, you son of a bitch.
0: We've been asked uh, why the movie is shot in uh, the one eight five aspect ratio as opposed to widescreen. And the reason for that's a decision that uh, Bob made with uh, Dean Cundy, the director of photography. Bob had shot Romancing the Stone with Dean Cundy before making Back to the Future, and that was shot widescreen. And Bob didn't like widescreen because he likes a lot of depth of focus when he shoots. Uh, this movie is shot with a lot of wide lenses. Very rarely did uh, Bob ever use a closer lens than a 29 millimeter. Most of it was a 21 or a 24, and with a uh, anamorphic widescreen lens, you just don't get the uh, the depth of focus on ever. And Bob likes to have that depth of focus. The other reason was that it's not a big movie, and since we couldn't show as much on the sides of the frame as uh, you can in a big outdoor movie, we decided that there was no point in shooting it in widescreen. And uh, the 177 format had just been decided as the standard for widescreen televisions of the future. And we figured that by shooting it 185, in the end, more people would see the movie on video than saw in a theater, and they would see it much closer to what Bob and Dean intended in their framing by shooting it in 185 than if we shot it in widescreen. I think you got the wrong car, McFly. George,
5: help me, please.
0: Just turn around, McFly, and walk away. Please, Are you deaf, McFly? Close the door and feed it. No, Biff.
4: You leave her alone. All right, McFly.
0: You're asking for it. There was a gag that we cut out of the rehearsal of the fight that showed that uh, George practiced punching with a punching bag and missed with his right hand and then let fly with his left hand and knocked the punching bag off of the clothesline, suggesting that perhaps George was, uh, should have been a left-handed person and was forced to be right-handed. We ended up cutting that out because uh, there was no reason for it. It was much better for this to turn into a surprise and for his anger here to be the catalyst for him uh, laying biff out (laughs) and actually in the first draft of the script uh, when marty comes back to the future george instead of becoming a successful writer ends up becoming a boxer We decided that
2: uh, you okay? kids really didn't
0: want to, want to have their dads be uh, prize fighters, so uh, we ended up changing that, but that was our first idea.
5: McFly? Excuse me.
0: Those cats on either side of the uh, clock were from uh, the cat people, something that hey the guys, art department found in and the scene dance. docs hey at Universal. Man, look
3: at Marvin's hand. He can't play with his hand like that, and we can't play without him. hands. this, yeah, we'll
0: this is Whittier High School. Play. See, that's where they kissed for the first time on the dance floor. Big board. high school. There's no music. They can't dance. Found all they kinds can't of great places to shoot they around can't there. Fall in love and I'm history.
4: Hey man, the dance is over. Unless uh, you know
0: and somebody else who
1: can play the guitar. This is for all you lovers out there. Earth
0: Angel, and that's uh, the actor is singing, Harry Waters Jr. Great voice. Nice guy. George, aren't you going to
5: kiss me? Those
0: shots, uh, the shots that you're going to see of the photograph in the neck of the guitar, those, uh, especially the, uh, the ILM shots, it was impossible to get that shot. So ILM built a giant guitar neck, about three or four times the size of a regular guitar neck and we blew the photograph up much bigger, and that's how we got those shots. This is the one effect that uh, never really worked right. It's good enough, but uh, we ran out of time. time, And uh, Bob signed off on that because he had to there was no other way we were going to get the movie in theaters by july 3rd why he gets a hole in his hand instead of the whole hand starting to vanish again the vagaries of time travel that was the shot that dial had to build the large guitar neck for And one of the things that happens musically there, we bring in the string orchestra when uh, George on, George kisses Lorraine. That's just sort of a subjective decision that, that Bob and Al Silvestri made. It was very, very effective. We want to have it be as uh, lush and romantic and uh, as syrupy as possible, and uh, it just works because, uh, as the audience, you want it to work. All
4: right, this is, uh, this is an oldie, but uh well, it's an oldie where I come from. All right, guys, uh, listen, this is blues riff and B. Watch me for the changes and try and keep up, OK?
0: This is not Michael J. Fox singing here, by the way. The guy that sang this name was uh, Mark Campbell, as I recall. It was a very, very good match for Michael's voice. Yeah, so,
1: Somebody that Bones founded heard him sing in a club or something.
4: You know,
0: as I remember, there were some black militants that decided that this was a racist movie because a white guy had to inspire Chuck Berry to invent rock and roll. In their interpretation of this, Uh, some people just uh, don't know that uh, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, and sometimes a joke is just a joke. That's a great shot with the uh, remote head camera swooping through the girl's legs right into the guitar. And it took Bob a long time to get that shot, but worth all the time.
4: Your cousin,
2: Marvin Barry, you know that new sound you're looking for? Well, listen to this.
0: Chuck Berry enjoyed this, by the way. Michael rehearsed the hell out of this number, and uh, the hours and hours that he put in doing this uh, really paid off. He brought the house down. The idea for the Enchantment Under the Sea dance, by the way, came from uh, researching old high school yearbooks and seeing what kind of things went on in high schools of the period. And quite a few high schools had uh, sea-themed dances. It just seemed perfect.
5: Marty, that was very interesting music.
4: Uh, yeah.
5: Um, I hope you don't mind, but George asked if he could take me home. Great, good,
4: good, Lorraine. I have a feeling about you, too.
5: I have a feeling, too.
4: Listen, I gotta go, but uh, I wanted to tell you that it's been educational.
5: Marty, will we ever see you again?
4: I guarantee it. Well, Marty, I wanna thank you for all your good advice. I'll never forget it.
0: And What makes the movie into a movie instead of a television show is the uh, background. Behind uh, Lorraine and uh, George, there, seeing the dance behind them. This is a real Frank Capra moment here.
4: One of them, when he's eight Michael, years old.
0: Uh, Marty, remembering yes, this uh, thing that, that happened, happened to him when he was eight years old. Go easy the on. one thing there's always one thing as a kid that okay. your parents did you that you never forget. For me, it was uh, my dad throwing out my comic book Such
5: collection. A nice name.
3: Where is that kid? Damn.
0: Damn, damn. We should talk about the the various wind machines that we use during this sequence here. We use the standard Ritter machines that are most frequently used, which are electric. But for the really big wide shots where we needed wind blowing all the way across the back lot there, we had a machine known as the McBride, which simply named after, named after Mr. McBride, whose, whose machine it was, basically what it was, was an airplane engine on a big cherry picker, huge cherry picker. and. It was the loudest thing, it's, it's, it's being used here. But this is where uh, Bill Kaplan, our sound mixer, would just kind of throw, shrug his shoulders and know that uh, we were gonna have to loop all this stuff here because uh, that thing was just oppressively loud. But uh, effective. Very effective, very effective. But it was the, the words that the crew dreaded to hear was when uh, the assistant director said, turn on the McBride, and this thing would roar to life. And it was an airplane engine, so imagine that you're standing 50 feet away from, from an airplane engine, and <laughs> that's what it sounded like. But you need an engine that powerful to blow wind that far.
4: Thanks. Thank you!
3: In about 30 years, I hope so. Don't worry. As long as you hit that wire with a connecting hook and precise. Shooting
0: in the back lot of Universal, it's cold back there at night. I don't know how the guys that built Universal Everything figured out that it was gonna be one of the, probably the coldest place in Southern California. But man, at two or three o'clock in the morning we were shooting this stuff, we were freezing. Remember Ramon Neal, yeah. the uh, caterer, with his chili. With his chili, one of the weird things that happened: we had four people came down with appendicitis during the production of of this movie, and everybody, people started thinking there was something wrong with uh, with Ramon's food that was the cause of that. And it wasn't. It was just some really freak coincidence.
1: One of the guys was kind enough to have it the appendix that he had removed put into a, a glass jar and he brought it and put it on the craft
0: service table <laughs> <laughs> yeah that didn't last long as i recollect
3: you get the cable!
0: Figuring out how we were going to shoot the night sky during this sequence was uh, something that we spent a lot of time thinking about. ILM would have liked to have done a uh, a composite uh, special effects sky for just about every shot. But uh, Bob and Dean and, and I talked about that and decided that if you were really filming during a lightning storm, the only time you ever would see the sky was when lightning backlit the clouds, you would never see anything in the sky other than that. It would always just fall off and be black. So we let it be black most of the time, and you only see it when there's lightning, and that's what makes it look, it looks much better that way than it would have if you always saw the clouds.
4: Uh, I have to tell you about the future! I have to tell
1: these tight shots when doc's on the ledge we were we had built that it was a a separate set from the back lot it was on the stage and we were working pretty much noon to midnight or uh, or two to two depending upon michael's schedule and we would we started so many days with chris up on this ledge uh, waiting to get michael right so every day we do a little bit of chris on the ledge and michael would show up and we go do the stuff with michael
0: We did put Chris Lloyd up there on the real exterior of the clock tower there for a couple shots and there's that's him there there's one <laughs> <laughs> And there's a shot coming up that's that's the that's stage, on the stage. No, that's fake But we just need a couple of those shots to show him up there for you to completely buy the illusion The stuntman that we had doubling Chris Lloyd here was Bob Yerkes, who is one of the legends in stunt. He's, he's the inventor of the airbag. That's right. And uh, his family was uh, circus aerialists. So Yerkes came by uh, doing anything. Anytime you want to have somebody way up high, Bob Yerkes was always the first guy that you'd try to get because he was born to that. This stuff here was uh, shot in Griffith Park, my favorite location of the movie because it was only five minutes from my house at the time. <laughs> Wait a
4: minute. I got all the time I want. I got a time machine. I can just go back early and warn him.
0: And we shot this on a Friday night after after Michael finished shooting Family Ties. So we started shooting at 10 o'clock at night and we shot all the way till dawn.
4: Engine running. Right. No. no. No, 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 Not this time. Come on.
2: Come
0: on. The fact about clocks that I didn't know until we made this movie, the number four on the clock are four I's, instead of an IV, in Roman numerals. And that is apparently a clock tradition. Uh, you know what, on the... Uh, yeah, we broke tradition. That's, that's a mistake, that's right. <laughs> Roman numeral clocks are supposed to have all four lines. And, uh, and here we didn't do it. You know, it's too late now. <laughs> example of, uh, of movie logic versus real logic. The idea that this alarm clock is going to be accurate enough to uh, signal Marty to get to the clock tower in time for this lightning strike is just a completely ridiculous concept. But nobody thinks about that. When is it 10 o'clock, when the clock chimes start chiming or when they finish, or somewhere in between? editing here. Harry Karamides was the lead editor for this sequence. We had two editors. Harry was brought in later when we realized how uh, jammed we were gonna be on our post-production schedule. And Harry would take one sequence and Hardy would take another sequence and they would look at each other's work after one had edited so that there was true collaboration. And of course, Bob would work with each editor in uh, great detail. To get these sequences timed out perfectly. (laughs) By using editing and wide angle lenses, we made that street on the back lot look about five times longer than it really is. We looked at a lot of uh, National Geographic footage of, of lightning bolts to get to one that was the model for the, for the big lightning hit, described in the script as uh, the biggest bolt of lightning in the history of cinema, or something like that. And uh, ILM uh, gave it to us in spades. The atomic kid on the marquee there was a Mickey Rooney movie from 1954 that took place on a nuclear test site. That's the only remnant of the idea that we originally had in the script for that idea. And now, as I explained earlier, the ledge you can see is still broken here 30 years later. And the courthouse is now the Department of Social Services. Here's the uh, the raisin bus bench that I talked about in the other commentary, Product Placement, that uh, the raisin board spent $50,000 for, and then we gave them their money back because it was definitely a ripoff for them. There was an old movie theater in uh, Burbank that had been changed into a church And that's how we came up with the idea of making that movie theater into a church in
4: 1985.
0: And I love this the fact that uh, here's the town square completely dilapidated, and uh, Michael says everything looks great. And that Bank of America that you just saw in that. uh, shot there, that was where uh, the bank wanted to put in a working versateller in the bank and we uh, told them they didn't have to do that.
4: Libyans.
0: Here we are back in the city of industry at... Uh, Plenty Hills Mall, now, Lone Pine Mall instead of Twin Pine Mall. And the two Martys coming up here, this was just done with uh, photo doubles. There's no special effects here, there's no uh, Two Michael J. Foxes, like we do in Part Two and Part Three, there was really no reason for it. We were told that uh, at this exact time in 1985, on on October 22nd at at, uh, 1:30 in the morning, uh, about. Two dozen people showed up at this uh, mall to see if anything was going to happen. <laughs> Nothing did, of course. Doc! Doc! Oh.
4: No.
0: And yes, uh, Photomat did give us some money for that. A little product placement there. Everyone will want to. Take their photos to Photo Mat because uh, car lying. crashed into it.
4: How did you know?
0: Here's the letter that doesn't quite match the letter when Marty writes it. And again, nobody noticed this except one kid from Japan.
4: What about all that talk?
0: Nobody would have noticed it, of course, if there was not such a thing as home video. But if there was no such thing as home video, (laughs) we We wouldn't wouldn't be be sitting here (laughs) watching this and we wouldn't be doing this. So
4: how far ahead are you going? About 30 years.
0: Now, in the beginning, when Doc says he's going into the future, he says he's going to go 25 years, and now he's going to go 30 years. I guess Doc just decided because Marty went 30 years one way, he should go 30 years the other way. No real logic to that, but... As Doc says, what the hell? We decided that we'd seen the DeLorean uh, go through time enough times that we would save money and not show it happening here, just have it happen off camera. Now to show you that somebody is always watching and details that you don't think are important, somebody else notices, this yellow magazine there that says RQ, which just went completely by everybody on the crew, uh, something the set dressers found, is actually RQ stands for Reference Quarterly, which is the trade journal of reference librarians. And I got two or three letters from reference librarians from around the country that had seen the movie and wanted to know why, what was the significance of, of this trade magazine. doing, What was it doing in Marty's bedroom? There's no reason why a kid would have it. And of course, it's just a mistake. Uh, It's something that the set dresser threw on the set and nobody paid any attention to it. And reference librarians uh, have scratched their heads ever since.
3: Second of all, somebody named Greg or Craig called you just a
4: little while ago.
5: Which one was it, Greg or Craig?
4: I don't know. I can't keep up with all of your boyfriends. Uh, Hey, what the hell is this? Breakfast. Would you sleep in your clothes again last night? Yeah. I, this was the
0: second pass that yeah, Larry do, Paul did on this set. The first I version think. that he designed was uh, to to too modern. It just did not look uh, feminine enough. As we all know, that uh, it's the wife that uh, is the prime mover in interior decoration in the house.
4: Mom, Dad, what, did you hit your head? You guys, you guys are great. Mom, you, you look so thin. Getting
0: Crispin to uh, wear these clothes was one of the hardest things we had to get him to do. He just hated that wardrobe. He hated that look.
5: Oh, I almost forgot Jennifer Parker called. Oh, I sure like her, Marty. She is such a And coming up,
0: when uh, Biff comes in with the novel, take a close look at the picture of uh, George on the back of the book. He doesn't look the same as he looks in this scene that was the first version of the uh, revised george mcfly look that we came up with we had to have something for the photograph and uh, that was what he was going to look like and when we had him acting that way just didn't seem good enough didn't seem enough of a contrast
4: don't con me I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. McFly. I, I meant I was just starting on the second quote. Yeah, Biff, what a character.
0: Everyone wants to know, uh, is Biff gay now that George decked him? Well, when this movie was the only of the three movies that existed, you could believe that. But as you'll discover in the sequels, not the case.
5: Novel.
4: Like I've always told you, you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Oh, Marty!
0: Marty, here's your UPS keys. UPS got there very, oh, very fast, up, Marty, for from when uh, Marty closed the door to when Biff came running back in.
5: Mr.
4: Jennifer oh you a sight for sore eyes let me look at you
5: Marty you're acting like you haven't seen me in a week I haven't you okay is everything all right
4: oh yeah everything is great
0: Marty never gets to kiss Jennifer through the whole movie. You look carefully at that shot. Uh, that was not Chris Lloyd driving. It was a stunt man. I think it was R.L. Tolbert.
3: You've got to come back with me.
0: And Where? those are solid metal glasses. Christopher Lloyd couldn't see a damn thing out of those. But they look so good. That,
1: <laughs> that, he <worked> <laughs>
0: that he worked with it. <laughs> that he worked with it, right? I need fuel. One of our uh, statements on... Uh, on the necktie, Chris Lloyd is wearing a clear plastic tie. What's the point of wearing a tie if you can't see it?
3: This concerns her, too. What's the point
0: of wearing a tie even if you can see it?
3: No, 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 Marty. Both you and Jennifer turn out fine. It's your kids, Marty. The Japanese
0: characters on his uh, on shirt, by the way, are indicate the significant Japanese influence we expected there to be in the future. We're wrong. We road to get up to and a great barcode license so going, plate there. We, when we previewed this movie. This shot was a really rough black and white shot. And it didn't matter. The audience was right there, ready for that car to fly. and uh, Went crazy. They went crazy. Absolutely. All right. We'll uh, continue this in Back to the Future Part 2.
1: Looking forward to it.